Amen. And may it be your will, Hashem, my God, that a mishap not come about through me, and may I not stumble in a matter of Torah and cause my colleagues to rejoice over me, and may I not say regarding something which is to me that it is to whore, and now regard something which is to whore that it is to me. And may my colleagues not stumble in a matter of Torah, and I rejoice over them. For Hashem grants wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil my eyes that I may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. Mashiach, now. I'd like to welcome everyone to the Kitavo Rumination Study. Without further ado, Handing it over to Shlomo. And good evening, not to all. And this week's rumination is rumination 47. This is kind of a big one. Um, are we to maintain Jewish identity and Gentile identity as separate and distinct in the one body? Of Messiah. Okay. Straight to the jugular. <clears throat> wow. Because that requires you, know, you requires some thought. <laughs> right. Right. And knowing and knowing the historicity. Yeah, because uh, we were actually speaking about this last week, you know, uh, about Gentiles who will enter into the Alam Haba. And, you know, there's the understanding, too, that not everyone is going to convert to Judaism. At least currently in our current condition. But once the spirit of impurity is banished from the earth, once we're all restored to a pure language, as it says in Zephaniah, it's a whole different ballgame at that point. Yep. Um, not like the Tower of Babel where uh, Nimrod forcibly got people to speak one language and they're all one in purpose. I will say uh, a worldly purpose. Mm-hmm. But, then, but then Nimrod in an act of arrogance pulls out his bow and fires an arrow, so to speak. To, the, to heaven and Hashem says nothing will be withheld from them that they imagine to do and thus they were scattered and what we have today 
Yeah. So the Tower of Babel could be looked upon as people wanting to identify with something. Wow. Yeah, because at um, that point, there were no Greek, no Jew. You know, uh, everyone, uh, like you said, unified in purpose. Yeah, just imagine if we all came together and the purpose of the Torah come under its banner. You know, the what we could accomplish for Hashem in this world mm. and the merits that we could achieve in the world to come would be, I think, would be very significant. Um, it's also tukum, um, rectification for a great many things that have existed since the garden and the dom sin. Um, but the point of this rumination is uh, first century identity, the historicity of it, because today we have, we would seem to have two, two groups. You know, does the scripture really support this? Hmm. Something to be explored, something to be understood. Um, because you have two groups who are fostering their own uh, identity, if you will. Yeah. You know, without getting specific or singling out one particular group, you know, but uh, and not being stereotypical, um, but attempting to judge favorably those groups because they do have some good points in them. A certain measure of understanding of what the Torah's requirement and the Torah's uh, description of identity and what it means to be identified. Yeah. Um, it does get specific in places. It the Torah really does. Um, but to start off with, there are some in Messianic Judaism who think that this is a prime directive of the scriptures. Rightfully, they see the horrible atrocities afflicted upon the Jewish people that resulted in the theft of Israel's identity by the early Christian church. Rightfully, they are concerned about how oftentimes Gentiles have led Israel astray but regarding the, see, the need to maintain a separate and distinct identity, they are wrong. There's only one identity for the believer and follower of Messiah. In him, we are one people. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 is quite clear on the matter. The one new man. The middle wall or the, the sorag being broken down. You know, um, I was thinking about Megillah 13a, where it says that um, it's speaking about Mordecai, uh, Esther's uncle. And it says that Mordecai actually descended from the tribe of Benjamin. So why is he called a Judahite? And it says because he repudiated idolatry. 
by not bowing down to Haman, who made himself an object of worship. You know, we're talking about secular ideas and, uh, you know, everything that we want to idealize and make our own purpose and our own identity, you know, and things like that. And it says, for whoever repudiates idolatry is called a Judite. And the footnote says, for as explained in Sota 10b, Yehuda's name was meant to incorporate the letters of Hashem's name, the Yod, Hey, and Vav, and Hey. And then, like this whole passage is speaking about really who is the one that's called a Jew. And if you think about when there's no longer idolatry existing in the world, and us all returning back to Hashem, and how the Mashiach will, or is, um, he has the name of the Yod and Hay and Bob and Hay within him, and that Yisrael will be identified with that name in the time to come. So, I mean, you really start looking at things like this and how all mankind will be brought underneath that banner. I mean, according to Megillah 13a, everyone's going to become Jewish, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it kind of sounds like, you know, they're talking about uh, conversion to Judaism. Yeah. So it sounds like that could be inferred in that Gemara that you just read. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was watching uh, Restoration of the Breach today, and he has three additional videos that he did. Yeah, he's going crazy, man. Kabbalah in the New Testament, and the second one was huge. Judge yeah. not, and you will not be judged. And he mm -hmm. brings out the Zohar about that the Holy One has created everything. The idols that are made from the earth, which Hashem created, which bring forth all these religions. We don't get to speak against it because he is the creator of all that. Yeah. Yeah, that was. And, that and was it, whoa. Oh, okay, <laughs> I take it you. I take it you watched it then. Oh, I'm up to date. It, it, yeah, <laughs> yes. it, it's it's huge. He yeah, who speaks it's... against his Elohim curses the seventy. Um, the 70 elders. Yeah, and the ministering angels over appointed over each yeah. nation. Yeah. So yeah, all these all these yeah, it also points to all these religious squabbles. This really brings the sowed for this rumination. And I watched it three or four times today because I really wanted to understand it. Mm -hmm. Because my wife was sitting there too and we both watched it so we realized we don't get to we can't judge someone else's not. simply put we cannot do that that's totally off limits works yes but even when you judge someone else someone's works what they're doing you can't do it in a way that 
condemns them because we want to judge people favorably because Kabbalah, you want to look for the good in them. You want to bring about a rectification. You want to bring about a tikkun in their life. This is how you change the world one person at a time when they come to the realization that it's up to them as an individual and it starts to spread outward like concentric circles and it just mm -hmm. keeps going like dropping a rock in a pond and you see the ripples going outward. So you know you're quoting Romans 12, 3, right? I have Shaul in my head so much that I always connect him to the Kabbalistic works, you know. Like yeah. The, the Bahir, the Zohar, uh, even Sefer Yetzirah. Um, <laughs> so just for the record, it says, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to use sound judgment as God has assigned to each person a measure of emuna, And you just said, don't judge someone else's emuna. Wow. Because the, the emuna that each person has is directly gifted to them by Hashem. Like their portion of that comes from Hashem. Mm -hmm. wow. Yeah. Uh, also, Ephesians too. We are His workmanship, created for good works. Yeah, there's that one. In um, the Mashiach, by the way, that's the workmanship yeah, is in the Mashiach. A Messiah who has done what? Brought us near by His blood. And you know what's you know, like, amazing about that is uh, the connecting of the Mashiach to the craftsman, right? A.K.A. the carpenter, because he dropped out. Uh, in the Kutayim Oberan, volume two, page 192. That was so huge. I'm like still like gaping over that one because he's the carpenter. He's the one doing the work. Of course, if yeah. we let him, if right. your heart is not hardened by sin and unbelief, as the writer right. of Hebrews so eloquently points out. Yeah, you know, in the Handbook of Jewish Thought, Volume 2, it talks about that, that the more a person goes into sin, the more hard their heart becomes. And um, Mahavruta was telling me that basically what you're doing is you're distancing yourself from Hashem's standard of morality and his will for the whole entire creation. So you're like driving a wedge between you and your creator when you sin. And if that chain isn't uh, broken, you end up in this downward spiral that takes you more into what you just mentioned so that you being the workmanship that you have the potential to be, that, that's lost. Yeah. You know, and then in uh, Mishle, in Proverbs 8, verse 30, it says, I was an Amon. I was a craftsman. I was a nursling. 
and this is the Torah speaking, uh, the word Amon is the word that's used as nursling, but it's also the tool of trade, i.e. the Torah was the craftsman's tool through which Hashem fashioned the world. Mm. And that's from Bereshit Rabbah 1-2. Oh, man. And, and then, then the Kute Kute Moho, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Kute, Kute. I, I, uh, this is the Holy One, as it is written, Psalm 104, verse 3, who lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. And the phrase is uh, Bar Naga, Nagara, the carpenter. That this same phrase, uh, Yeah. Say Hakadosh Baruch Hu. This is the Holy One. Yeah, Hulin 68. Yeah. <laughs> this is also our, as our sages taught, your God is a carpenter. Hulin 68. The debasement of this garment produces haughtiness, which corresponds to the seven royal houses of idolatry. Because of this idolatry, the Jewish people were exiled from their land. As our sages taught, Israel was not exiled until the seven royal houses that worshipped idolatry, Gittin 88a. And this is the reason why idolatry is called splendor, as in Isaiah 44:13, like the splendor of a man to sit in the house. For idolatry, which is haughtiness, comes from a debasement of his splendor. Goodness. Yatin 88A or B? A. Man. So the seven houses? I've never heard of that one. What was the phrase again for that? Because of this idolatry, the Jewish people were exiled from their land. As our sages taught, Israel was not exiled until the seven royal houses had worshipped idolatry. That's getting 88A. Seven royal houses. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you ready for this? Go ahead. The Gemara continues with an agotic segment that eventually cites the aforementioned verse. Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi said the land of Israel was not destroyed until seven royal courts i.e. seven royal families, performed idolatry in her midst. These are they, Yerubam ben Nevat and Basha ben Ahia, Achav ben Omri, Yehu ben Nimshi, Pekach ben 
uh, Remal Yahu and Menachem Ben Gadai, Hoshea Ben Ela. For it was stated in scripture, the one who bore seven is desolate. Her spirit is miserable. Her son has set in midday. She is embarrassed and ashamed. The verse indicates that Eretz Israel will suffer desolation after it bears seven idolatrous royal families. Wow. And they're talking about those are kings listed in uh, Malachim. Mm-hmm. So we have... And, and also Divrei Hayamim. Yeah, it's citing Jeremiah 15, 9 is that last verse we mentioned. And then... Okay, it doesn't reference the earlier thing anytime here because they're they're in the midst of uh, different discussions going on but but yeah particular kings between Yisrael and Yehuda because they talk about during the reign of Hoshea ben Ela the ten tribes are exiled Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi considers the land of Israel destroyed as of that time all seven royal courts enumerated here were of the kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes. Mention of idolatrous Judean kings was omitted because their reigns coincided with that of these enumerated kings. Also, idolatrous kings of Israel who did not reign for at least a year were not mentioned. Although King Omri was himself idolatrous, he is included in the court of his son Ahav because Ahav was even more wicked. And that's from Rashi. So we're really talking about the northern kingdom, not even Judah. And like all of those kings are associated with Ephraim. Wow. One of Joseph's two sons. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, we're like, yeah. this is Piyak Ben Yosef stuff, man. <laughs> this is why he comes first. He tacoons yeah. that. Yeah. He has to bring a rectification for all the sins of those kings. Man. Um. Yeah, this touches on the era of Rav, too. Although in our day, there's no one who's 100% era of Rav. They just simply behave like the era of Rav. Um, mm -hmm. it, sh it should also be noted that in this Parsha, you know, Vehayaki uh, Tavo, the word ki has a gematria of 30 corresponding to the 30 days of Elul. Oh my gosh. So when why you, when you enter into the 30 days of a little <laughs> Kitavo. Man. Okay. <laughs> In other words, when you come into the land, it sh it shall be when you come into the land. Wow. So 
and according to some, uh, most 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 spent thirty days re re reciting the Torah to that generation that was about to enter the land. Man. <laughs> well, you know the uh, the Hasidic insight on the opening verse of this parsha is talking about the land is connected with ratzon because it says the the word for land is eretz, which is related etymologically to ratzon, which is the word for will. And it says, Bereshit Rabbah 5, 8 says, why is the land of Yisrael called Eretz, the land? Because it acquiesced to the will of its owner. Which means, based off of what we just read in Gatine 88a, the land itself offered itself up for destruction. And the whole tacoon process of the exile, the return, and all that, you know, like the same way the Mashiach bin Yosef offers himself up. Yeah. And this whole section, though, about uh, entering into the land and Eretz and Ratzon is all about aligning our will with Hashem. Uh, <clears throat> And also about how to, the, the crazy way it puts it, that if we integrate our divine inspiration into our lives daily, remaining constantly aware that our footsteps are guided by God, then we ipso facto disseminate divine awareness wherever we go. And basically we create vessels for infinite light to be expressed in a finite world. And we do this by the power of God's essence, which transcends the dichotomy of the finite and the infinite for whom everything is possible. So looking at Elul and the potential that we have, and as we head into Rosh Hashanah, like we literally have the power to bring infinity into a finite form, which is the whole reason why we should be birthing a new self, a new creation, throughout these 30 days and into the month of Tishrei. Renewing your mind. Nice. Romans 12, 2. 12, 2. <laughs> Since you were quoting from that chapter. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Powerful stuff, man. Yeah, I, I've yeah. never... Never thought about the judging the Elohim like that, man. Like, yeah. Because then I thought it was uh, the healing 24. The earth is Hashem's and everything that's in it. Everything that's in it. Yeah. You know, this takes me back to the, the Medrash about King David asking Hashem, like, why did you make spiders, man? Like, what are you doing? Like, that's terrible, you know? And it's just like, oh, I'll show you why I made spiders. You know, you think about, like, all the different destructive elements of creation that exist, and Hashem's like, yeah, I made that. That's mine. Thank you. <laughs> You're like, but I don't get it. I think that's not right. And it's just like, well, 
Oh boy. <laughs> Everything has its purpose and its place. Although my wife doesn't like spiders. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan. That and venomous snakes. So I'm just kind of <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> But, you know, like you look at the, the, the way creation is balanced and sustaining, you know, with, with everything that, that happens, you know, why the venomous snakes have to have what they have and the different cultures and habitats they live in, you know, like if they didn't have any venom, like there'd be an imbalance there, you know, and if we didn't have spiders, you know, the imbalance that that would cause, I don't really know too much about that particular thing with the animal kingdom or the insects and things like that. But if you look at the, the, the reason why bees, you know, they pollinate and things like that. So if they weren't doing their thing, then what would that mean for the flowers and then all that kind of stuff? Just, you know, just the way everything's balanced. It's delicate. It's very intentional. And it's just kind of like, wow, we're in a whole system here. We can't just take out things we don't like you know and just <laughs> turn our noses up at it <laughs> yeah um yeah i just i got out the orcaim on that first let's go Behayakitavo. Uh-huh. um explains the seemingly superfluous term behaya it will be Amar Vehaya Lashon Sinka. The verse says Vehaya, which is an expression of joy, Bereshit Rabbah 42.3, before saying, when you enter the land. In order to alert us to the idea that it is appropriate to rejoice only when we merit dwelling in Eretz Yisrael. Similar to what it says regarding the return of the exiles to Eretz Yisrael in the future era, Tehillim 126, verse 2, when Hashem will return the captivity of Zion, then our mouth will be filled with laughter, etc. Asher Adonai Eloheka Notein Leka Nakalah. Uh, it will be when you enter the land that Hashem your God gives you as an inheritance and you possess it and dwell in it. Understood simply this for this entire verse is merely an introduction to the mitzvah of Bikurim, the first fruits stated in the next verse, indicating that the mitzvah applies when you enter the land, etc., Orkayim questions this understanding. We need to determine the dividing point in the verses. If it is at the beginning of the verse, beginning of the following verse, and you shall take of the first, etc., so that our verse is one long introduction to that verse, then it should have said, you shall take of the first without the conjunctive and, since it is not adding to our verse, but is the beginning of the instruction of what needs to be done when the conditions stated in our verse are met. 
It therefore seems that the Torah's intent is that Hashem is instructing the Jewish people here regarding four mitzvahs, not merely regarding the mitzvah of Bikurim. Accordingly, the instruction begins right after the words, it will be when you enter the land. It continues into the following verse. This accounts for the conjunctive and at the beginning of the verse. In other words, Behaya. Because when you when you see something like that grammar wise, go back to the previous parsha, the last the last statement. Uh, Zakar Amalek. Remember what Amalek did to you. Yeah. And then, and then in the grammar we see Vehaya, and then it will be when you enter the land, as if to say, remember what Amalek did to you, and it will be when you enter the land you'll enter in joy, because that's how he sees this word, this phrase Vehaya. Yeah, it's a term of joy. Yeah. Yeah, as uh, As Rabbi Trevman put it, he was talking about the way the progression of the Parshiot happened during Elul, that, you know, we have Kitete going out to war, leading us into Kitavo, which is when we enter into the land. And he was saying that, don't uh, don't forget that in the midst of your battling and, and striving forward through everything, that don't forget to do it with joy. You know, and so as we battle against Amalek, one of the biggest victories over Amalek is having Simka. Because Amalek is all about yeah. bringing doubts and fruitless labor into our lives. And that, and it's it's crazy. It's like ironic that Kitavo begins with bringing fruit. <laughs> and Amalek is about being fruitless. <laughs> and then and also, being in joy uh, as opposed to doubting. Yeah, and if we remember in Exodus during Israel's departure from Mitzrayim, that Amalek preyed on those who were weakest. Yes. Because he is one of the main components at that time of the Arab wrath. Mm-hmm. In a sense, uh, the Sigim, the, the waste product, the byproduct of Adam Harishon's illicit behavior bringing in blemished souls into the into the earth. Man. Um, apart from Syria, who was the cruelest when it came to Israel, the, especially the northern kingdoms, mm-hmm. Amalek was basically the arch enemy of Israel. The like uh, atheist, they behave in a very atheistic way, denying Hashem denigrating the Torah and our sages warn that anyone who does this will not merit a place in the world to come. He'll experience death in this world and he will experience death in the world to come. Right. Yeah. The uh, Amalek is considered the 50th level of impurity that we were saved from to come out of Mitzrayim. Had we descended into that level, we would have never been able to be redeemed. So much so that Shavile Pankis said that if we faced a Melech after the giving of the Torah, we could have denied the giving of the Torah. 
And this is why the rebellion of Korok was so huge because Korok was there at the beginning of the Torah. He understood how the priesthood came about and was developed. And yet he challenged all of that and essentially took it to a level of even denying Hashem, like denying the revelation. And it says the reason why he was able to do that is because he grabbed a hold of the 50th level of impurity from Amalek and brought it forth into his argument. <laughs> I was just like, okay. Oh, he perpetuated it. Um, it's like uh, Bielam. He, he was the Gilgal of Levan. Yes. Of the Sagim. Of the Sagim. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the waste product, the, the, the blemished uh, uh, nefesh. Um, it, you have those, you know. They're, they're just out to just make life difficult as a believer in general, in some cases, you know. And yeah. this, again, this is, this is what we have to watch for. You know, stuff that we have to keep to ourselves. Although we can discuss it amongst ourselves, those who have this kind of understanding that Hashem has granted to those who operate with proper discretion. Because this is like battlefield intel. Hmm. That's almost real time. That's almost real time. But you don't want the enemy to know that, it, okay, we have this intel. We know what we need to do. You don't want to yeah. tip your hand. You want to play your cards close to you, you know, and put your poker face on you. Know? Oh, I just, man, I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> <laughs> Took the thought right out of my head. I was like, he is not about to say poker face. He just said poker face. <laughs> <laughs> A poker face carved in stone. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That just happened. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, but yeah. I mean, yeah, just, you know, going back to that last statement in Kitetse, and we have that word key again. Like about a tree of 30, two of them. <laughs> nice. You shall wipe out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. You shall not forget. Mm. Uh just looking at whoa the last verse part of it when you were faint and exhausted and not fearful of God this is on the previous part of so explains the meaning of the terms faint and exhausted. The Torah means to say you were still faint from Egyptian servitude and exhausted from the exertion of the journey. Orkaim explains the verses concluding phrase and not fearful of God. Why is, why is the fact that the Jewish people were not fearful of God a reason to hate Amalek? The meaning of this statement and not fearful of God is as follows. Because you did not fear God, weakness entered your heart and made you even more vulnerable than you already were as a result 
of the physical faintness and exhaustion. A lack of fear of God leads to fear from worldly terrors in accordance with that which the verse says in Yeshayahu 33.14, sinners were afraid in Zion. Hmm. Had the Jewish people been righteous and God-fearing, always the word yireh, a reverential fear, a respect, so they would not have been terrified or fearful during the battle with Amalek. Orkheim explains why our verse describes Amalek's attack in such detail. By elaborating on Amalek's attack, the Torah is making us aware of the reasons that will bring hatred of Amalek into our hearts. Namely, that he caused the Jewish people great distress by coming against them as an eagle swoops swiftly and without their awareness as the statement that he happened upon you also indicates. And he did so while they were faint and exhausted and did not have with them that which preserves one strength through a hidden force, namely fear of God, which provides protection from fear of the enemy. This was the case. This was not the case, however, with all the other battles that were waged against the Jewish people. For aside from the fact that they were not faint or exhausted during their other battles, they had another advantage. They were all righteous, God-fearing, and humble, and therefore they were not as vulnerable as they were during this battle against Amalek. You know what's interesting about the the 230s that you just mentioned? We have the 30 days of Elul, but the way the calendar falls out this year, we'll begin sleek coats this following Shabbat, uh, right out of Kitavo, going into Nitzavim, because that's going to take us into Rosh Hashanah. So we will have a week of sleek coat during Parsha Nitzabim, and then we'll go into, yeah, because Parsha Nitzabim and Vayelik will be read separately this year, though they're normally read together, uh, if it's a, depending on the cycle, but the crazy part is there's a 30-day cycle of Slikot leading into Shemini Atzeret, which is the end of Sukkot. So we have a 30-day period that starts with Elul, right? And then in the midst of that 30, we begin another 30 to take us into the Yom Tovin of the month of Tishrei. Yeah. Um, Ask do that uh, because the sages say that uh, the last six days of Elul are the six days of creation. Mm-hmm. And, and Adam's sin was on Shabbat, corresponding to uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Din. Yeah, the second day of Rosh Hashanah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. 
because of his expulsion from the garden, along with Hava, uh, and so that ushers in the ten days of of awe, mm-hmm. where the intensity of one's uh, teshuva increases in preparation yeah. for Yom Kippur, because I remember last year because it was really intense. Yeah. Um, but I also remember from last year, as is the case this year, that I'm noticing that the intensity that the Yeser Harak comes after you is as equally intense. Yeah. It makes the... Uh... It makes it so we don't seem like it's too easy. No, we have to have yeah, that yeah. equal amount of weight on the bar, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a false weight is toiva. Yeah. So if you think about that, the intensity of the Yatahara is basically showing us the intensity of the potential that we have for increasing our closeness to Hashem, increasing uh, our amuna, uh, how much newness we can actually bring into our life and into the world. Like, man. Which, by the way, you mentioned Psalm 126 from the Orha time. So I pulled out the commentary. If we could swerve for just a moment, I feel like this is a really neat uh, insight from the Rebbe. He says, only through our descent into exile, we ascend to heights otherwise unattainable. He says, for, for, for exile is not just a punishment for sin, but a crucible. Think about Kepha, what he wrote about the crucible. Um. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and he says, but a crucible through which we attain true greatness. Because we were like dreamers, we experienced the challenges of exile. Our mouths will eventually be filled with unprecedented joy. Now, check this footnote out. He's citing from the Torah Menachem. And it says the word for dream is halom, also suggests health and strength. Although dreams reflect a state of weakness, suspension of the critical mind, this weakness helps the brain process the noise of the day, expelling the chaff and leading to a healthier and stronger mind in the morning. My joy comes in the morning, separating out the wheat from the chaff. Um, the boasting in our weakness, my my grace is sufficient, you know, like all those verses. <laughs> it yeah. says, this is why the Talmud <laughs> in Barakot 55b views the lack of dreams as negative. The dream process is similar to the symptoms of illness, such as a fever, which contribute ultimately to a greater health. I read that and I'm still like say lot on that because who wants to get sick? Why in the world should we have to go through all these things we're going through in the world right now? This crazy turmoil, like it's driving some people crazy, you know, 
including me sometimes because i'm just kind of like i i can't i don't know how this is happening right now <laughs> you know but brukasham keeping the sound mind power love you know and all that but dude it's just like this is contributing to making us reach heights that are otherwise unattainable and we have to go through these things in order to to experience the days that are ahead of us that are not worthy to be compared you know like the coming glory is unworthy to be or these oh, days yeah, are yeah, unworthy yeah. compared with the coming glory yeah uh yeah, you're quoting Romans again. Um, <laughs> trying to remember where he, he you know, um, I, I think it's Romans eight thirteen. Yeah, let me see here. For the um, but we don't know what we should pray for, but the Spirit knows with groanings and moanings. Yep. Okay, if you start at 8.13, key verses 8.18 says, uh, for if we live after the flesh, we'll die. But if you live through the spirit and mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers that should be called sons of God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it says, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba. The spirit oh. witnesses. The Orkai, with... my, my chest read about Amalek. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Mashiach, if so, be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I wonder If he is talking about the high holy days here Ooh. that we are about to head into. Wow. And what are we reading here? When you go in, what do you do on Sukkot? You go into no, your Sukkot. You're supposed to do it with joy. This is the time of our joy. Zaman uh, Simkatenu. The season of our joy. Oh, oh my God. Dude. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and you know there's 22 days. Shabbat Menukah. Wow. Yeah, we're going to my favorite songs by Steve McConnell. I, I just love that song, you know. Wow. They want to give Steve McConnell a try. It's he's a very <laughs> good artist. He's very liturgical. I mean, 
Oh man. <laughs> okay. Now we get tired of listening to him. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, yeah, I, I just thought of the high holy days reading this from Romans because all these holidays are actually matter of fact all of the Moedim point to the world to come because what are they? They're rehearsals. Every year we come back to them. We get it more right every year. Wow. Shadow of things to come much? Come, <laughs> yes. And the one casting the shadow is Mashiach, of course. <laughs> you know, what the they word. say, oh, when some people say that, oh, away with these shadows. Get rid of the Mashiach. Mashiach at the same time. Who's catched the shadow in the first place? Bruh. <laughs> Look at verse 19 in Romans 8. The creation waits eagerly for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was made subject to frustration, not willingly, but because of the one who subjected it. But it was given a reliable hope. Man. Come on. That it too would be set free from its bondage to decay and would enjoy the freedom, accompany the glory. You realize how Kabbalistic that is? He's talking about Tohu Vevohu there. It's like reading to be here sometimes. <laughs> mm hmm. Well, I mean, right. he learned under Gamliel. Like, yeah. He should be bringing it. <laughs> He's one of the great sages of the Talmud. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, this all this goes to identity. You know, sticking with the the main thrust of this rumination. You know, who are we identifying with, or where does our identity reside in? Uh, an argument is made from Acts 15 and Acts 21 that Jewish and Gentile believers are given different standards of righteousness. Mm. That is demonstrably false. Hashem has one standard. There's only one Torah. There's only one king. Mm -hmm. Does the king give two standards? I think not. Right. But there are some that in an effort to maintain Jewish identity in Messianic Judaism have falsely argued that the Torah is only a, an invitation, thus divine invitation theology. Wow. You know, an invitation to Gentiles, whereas to Jews is an obligation. I have heard this on both sides over the years. Hmm. That this theology only seeks to drive a wedge between Jew and Gentile. This was not meant to be. Never. The Torah never speaks of two distinct groups of people, only one. Yeah. 
arguing that the apostles only obligated Gentile believers to some uh, mythical moral code plus the four dictates of Acts 15, 20, 29, and 21-25 misses the entire point. Those that espouse such a theology are focused on the righteous standard at expense of a of the greater picture one people in Messiah. They forget the master's statement in Matthew 5.17, I've not come to abolish the Torah, but to fulfill it. And when I use the word fulfill, I don't mean that he completed or that he finished it, but yeah. rather that in obedience to it, a continued obedience to the Torah. Yeah, you know, I was trying to think about if uh, the Torah ever mentions, you know, Jews do it this way, non-Jews do it that way. But for some reason, what pops into my mind is uh, you should not eat anything that has died a natural death. Give it to the stranger in your community to eat, or you may sell it to a foreigner. For you are a people consecrated to the Lord your God. You shall not boil a kid in its mother's milk. And I was going to look up commentary on that. But uh, it says, huh? The kid in its mother's milk was a Canaanite practice. Yeah. But the uh, the whole f the fact of the trafe meat, i.e. the unkosher meat, you give it to the stranger or the foreigner. And Rashi was saying, you give it to the sojourner, one who has not, or one who has undertaken not to worship idols, i.e. one who has not been converted to the fundamental tenet of Judaism, but who eats carrion, does not obey the other teachings of the Torah. So not that we can allow ourselves to be not converted or, or things like that, like remain as a Gentile, stay as you are kind of thing. But one who has, through their free will that Hashem has given, there's people who choose not to walk in that opportunity. And so the Torah isn't saying that there's two distinct people. There's just people who don't want to, uh, walk in its ways, so to speak. You know, I'm just kind of trying to think and process through, you know, because what we're talking about here, and like, it's a heavy subject. But, you know, yeah, there is that, uh, that one standard that Hashem has given us. Mm -hmm. The other problem we would run into also with this is that uh, no kites. Mm hmm. Um, this is another misinterpretation of Acts 15. The apostles did not say in that chapter that this is the end all be all of Gentile observance of Torah. No, it is the beginning. It's a starting point. Because what you're doing is you're, if you're saying that you can only be a Noachite, then you are 
sabotaging that person's spiritual growth and their total uh-huh. learning. You can't. That's you cannot worthy. do that. That is. You cannot worthy. do that. Yeah. You're also sabotaging their emuna too. They need to build up their holy faith, as as Jude writes, building yourselves up on your most holy emuna, your faith. Building, workmanship, craftsman. Yes. How can you be Hashem's workmanship if you do not move beyond the basics, as the writer of Hebrews says? Um, that would be a good question to ask yourself when you read Hebrews, you know, is this a rebuke or is it an exhortation? Especially concerning Shabbat observance. Um, yeah, everything happens in the progression, like the Rabbi Kesson, Shlita, the mm-hmm. teaching that you sent out from him last week, that uh, when Hashem is bringing the Mashiach that he has he prepares the world he, he's not just going to shock us into that revelation you know so same thing with a person who may be far from Hashem who may be steeped in idolatry and things like that like there's these progressive levels of peeling that onion back you know like you you don't just some people can some people can just like okay I'm done <laughs> You know, it did just start walking in Judaism, but for the average person, you know, like myself included, I started yeah, with just learning that Hebrew is the thing. And I was just like, oh, mm-hmm. and then I learned about the feast days and I started doing the feast days. Then I started going through the process of conversion. Then I started going into deeper studies, like all these progressive levels. Yeah, you know, it's uh, that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews says. You know, you gotta move beyond the milk to get to the to the meat mm-hmm. and learn how to discern, learn how to pick the meat off the bone, the good stuff, you know, the proper, the good teachings, you know, because you have a lot of false teachers out there. Yeah. You know, I saw I saw a post on Facebook today from uh, Ray Luke. He posted uh, about these tele evangelists. And I'm not going to name names, but most people know who they are. Um, yeah, because they're kind of uh, famous. <laughs> they're on TV. <laughs> yeah, you know, and there are a lot of people who follow them. But the problem is they don't judge with righteous judgment mm. their works. You know, and I'm citing an example because we need to be careful because then again, that goes to identity again because these people are identifying with them. They are uh, making disciples after them. And therein is a great sin because they're drawing people away from the Torah of Hashem. We're supposed to be making Talmudim for him, not ourselves. Exactly. 
So, again, who is it we're identifying with, you know? And, you know, the fact um, that televangelists exist uh, keeps the playing field leveled, you know, keeps free choice available for everyone so that it's not yeah. so one-sided. Because, you know, just like you mentioned, the the writings of the the gospels and the letters, they're, they're gatekeepers because with the lack of information, the uh, misinterpretation of the manuscripts and things like that, like they act as gatekeepers to keep those out who are not uh, found worthy, for lack of a better term, of the deeper meanings and insights that are actually concealed in there. Because like we talk about being being a vessel, having a vessel ready to receive these revelations, to, to get this deeper understanding and things like that. Like your mind and your heart have to be prepared to receive these things. This is the parable of the seeds, you know? Yeah, I've heard it said that Israel is the seed that's being sown throughout the nations. Okay. Um, <laughs> Was that the Benish guy? I think something like that. Uh, I feel like there was a drop about in the, the tour about that. Maybe. Um, I found this guy on YouTube who says this. Really? Yeah, he's he seems to be, he's a rabbi, um, and he knows the he knows the apostolic writings. Really? And for years, I for years I thought that the seed was the the word. That's what I thought. So like we're like we're taught in the church, but then he <laughs> yeah. said the seed is Israel, and I thought about it. Said you know what? That makes sense. Why? Who did the Mashiach come to first? That's right. The lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's not to the end of each of the four, the three synoptic gospels that he tells his Talmudim, go and make Talmudim of all nations. Nations. You go be the seed that's sown. That's it. They're, they're Israel. Yeah. They're deceived, being scattered. And you are my witnesses of these things. And you will be my witnesses starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. A sower went forth to sow. I believe that is connected to Pesachim. 88 or 89 what is that 87b so to exile is to enable converts from the nations to join the jewish people here's how it's framed though hosea 225 does a person sow a seah of grain for any reason other than to bring in several core of grain during the harvest so too exile about good ground <laughs> yeah so we're the seed man that's crazy parable of the seeds is the jew coming to the nations oh my god and bring oh my god yeah see that one just like that's it 
Yeah. Okay, that's going to change forever. That just blew my mind about <laughs> Mashiach's parable right there. Oh, my gosh. It did for me. Wow. Um, I'm going to have a say a lot moment, so you continue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to get out another commentary. <laughs> um, wow. Man, that is deep pun intended because <laughs> our seeds met Bezrat Hashem they're sown deep so get the roots that's that's probably another sow of why we should not waste seed bro come on man because they uh, it basically leads to creating demons yeah, blemish souls. See, this is why Okay, Bez Radishim, you come back because you just froze up. Connection reestablishes. Keyword that we left off on was blemish souls created from wasted seed. So this is why. Stand by, everyone. We're Reestablishing connection. There he is. Got to unmute your mic. Welcome back. <laughs> okay. Uh. Yeah, we left off with the uh, creating blemish souls. Yeah, the Seguin. Um, I decided to get out the Schneider's coat. Um, where... Yeah, commandment 606 enjoins the owner to recite the paragraph dealing with the bringing of the first ripened fruit at the time he brings these, these as a gift to the holy temple. Commandment 607 is called Bidui Ma'aser and consists of the recital that one has discharged one's obligation regarding the various laws of tithing. Commandments 608, 609, and 610 forbid the eating of Ma'aser Shnei in a state of pre-mourning. And they note a state of impurity or the spending of its equivalent purchase money on anything but food or drink or on items directly connected with food or drink. 
Commandments 611 enjoins us to emulate the ways of the Lord to the best of our ability. The operative verse is 2617. You have affirmed this day that the Lord is your God, that you will walk in his ways and that you will observe his commandments, etc. That he will be your God so that you may walk in his ways, etc. And if I remember correctly, 611 is the Gematria for Torah. Correct. The one commandment in this portion, which comprises all other commandments, is the commandment to walk in God's ways. Since man has been created in the image of God, it behooves him to emulate God to the extent he is able to. He has to see to it that every one of his limbs is in perfect condition, for each limb has been charged with the performance of some commandment. The same applies to our spiritual and emotional faculties. We know that God is gracious, and we too must display this trait in our dealings with other people. Our sages quote God as saying, Kol Zeman Shebanei Oskim Kaster Hazei. As long as my children conform to this order, a prayer they will not leave empty-handed. The reference is to the recital of the 13 attributes of God, which he taught Moshe in response to his request for knowledge how to assuage his anger. We all know how many times we recite the 13 attributes and nothing seems to happen and our sins do not seem to disappear. This is because we did not heed the what the wording of the promise. The sages spoke about God having demanded that we practice practice oskim, uh, uh, the attributes of God, not merely recite them during a confessional. Uh, cross-reference uh, Al-Sheik and Zoror Hamor on Exodus 34, 6. Veha uh, Kala Halakat, uh, Darkav, and you will walk in his ways, fulfilling this part of the Torah's blueprint for our relationship with God will qualify us to be Merakaba, uh, uh, the carrier of God's presence on earth. Man, in the way he was originally constructed, was after all the reflection of God's of God on the earth. Who could better qualify as the Merakabah? We have already described elsewhere how the seven sections of your body represent the seven parts of the concept of Banin. By sanctifying your body, we will be able to recapture the lofty uh, Neveu Adam possessed and become like the Daumot Elion, a replica of the form in the highest regions. This this is alluded to in 2619. Uh, and he will set you 
supreme over all the nations he has made to be for fame, renown, and glory, etc. Uh, the word Tiferet refers to the emanation of that name, the level at which original man of the dual face emanated. The word Tehila, on the other hand, refers to the still higher emanation of Binah, as Pardes Rumunin explains under the heading uh, Tehila in section uh, RK ha Hakanoim. Though there seems to be some doubt whether this expression refers to the emanation of Binah, uh, Keter, or Binah, we may consider that all these all three emanations, like Keter, Holkma, and Binah, are men. They represent the origin of Benin. Keeping this in mind, we understand why the term uh, Aliyah, Ascent, is used not only in connection with the blessing, such as in 2619, but also in connection with the warning or curse in 28.43, where the stranger in the land of Israel is described as ascending, whereas we will descend, that the verse even repeats the expression, may Olah, may Olah, higher and higher, describing the progress made by the alien. How are we to understand this? Do we not have a tradition that the Midah, Tova, the positive, is always in always in 500 times greater supply than the negative. Sota 11, Sanhedrin 100, uh, Yoma 76. We therefore must must not understand the words uh, may Olah, may Olah, to mean that the alien will climb much higher than Israel, but rather that he will only ascend two steps. The repetition acts as a limitation. The oath, uh, a common occurrence in the Bible, exegesis, the reference to the set of the Jewish people in 2619. Uh, however, is a comprehensive term. Man's purpose is to perfect his resemblance to the divine. It follows that even those aspects of his body which are more mundane by nature should be elevated to the level of Colleen, uh, Shanaso, Al Tehorat, Hakodesh. Profane matters treated as if all the restrictions of sacred matters apply to them. This includes the act of sexual union with his wife. Which helps against uh, spilling seed. Yeah. Um, going back to uh, the Ramban on Genesis 17, 6. One of the purposes of circumcision is to bring in the, uh, the sexual organ that would be subjugated to the divine. Yep. Yeah. Um, again, it's as some will try to say, you know, you can only be a Noahide 
and yet you don't teach this stuff so that this person could achieve a level of purity in their life, thereby deepening their identity even further and grounding it even further in the Torah so that they do not stray. See, that's another risk that that would come up. If you're going to restrict such a person to the Noakai, they run, they run the risk of going astray. And thus, you've done it for nothing. Yeah. What I like about that is you really, you allow every human to have the ball in their court. You know, you're not going to force them to do more, but you're also not going to force them to do less. You know, because it's a free gift. You know, like this is why we, we read about uh, Parsha Bamibar. The Torah was offered in the wilderness. It's offered in a no man's land because it's free to all. But how do you get to the yeah. wilderness? You have to leave your city. You have to leave your place of belonging. Were you going to say yeah, something? The world, oh, the wilderness was a ownerless place. No one owned it. Even yeah. though we know that Hashem owns everything. Every, yeah, we just quoted Psalm 24, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, that it's merely given to us to take care of. Because Adam was told to tend the garden. Yeah. He wasn't told it belongs. The verse does not say that it does not, it belongs to you. <laughs> Can you repeat that one more time? That That's a powerful statement. Um, he was told to tend the garden. The garden, and it does not belong to him. The scripture does not state that he owned it. And Man. that it was it was a gift. Yeah, I think about the uh, the Torah being the heritage of Yaakov, and how that the sages tell us don't read it as heritage, but uh, read it as betrothed. You know, so the the Torah being betrothed to Israel and things like that, and how if if a person's heart so moves them they get to join in that, you know, like the same way when we were leaving Mitzrayim, all these Egyptians, <laughs> which was a mix of people from all across the world, were like, oh yeah, I hear the voice of Hashem, I'm going, you know, like, and they became a part of the Jewish nation, you know? And so the freedom to enter into that opportunity to receive that which is a gift to the Jewish people, you know, because that's who the Torah is really for. But if a person doesn't want to be a Jew, there's there's prescriptions for that, you know, just like we just read that that verse I was quoting about the giving the meat that's trafe, the not kosher meat to the foreigner. Um, that's Deuteronomy 14, 21. And that was saying a person who chooses not to take on the yoke, basically. You know, that's what Rashi was saying. That's why they're considered a stranger is because they want to be, not because they were told that they needed to be. So when we look at the Jews and non-Jews and like, are there really two groups? You know, 
It's like, well, the desire is that there, there isn't, you know, but we have free will. Yeah, it's like some people always ask, you know, why did God put the tree in the garden if he knew that man was going to eat from it? It's because we're created with a free will. Not like the angels who are basically like robots, you know, and just exactly. do what he created them to do, you know, without question. So uh, we're... You know? We're created to question. We're created to search things out. We're created so that we would want to desire to know him, to ask him these questions, to do what we're doing right now. Yeah. That's was... the profanity of the matter. You know, it's. Yeah, I was thinking of uh, for freedom, Mashiach set us free. You know, so no longer be enslaved to the yoke. But in that same chapter, we learned that we're freedom or it probably isn't that same chapter. So I need to look it up. OK, <laughs> um, that was weird. But yeah, um, that we have freedom, but we shouldn't use that freedom as a pretext for sin. You know, so as the workmanship in the Mashiach, we've all been given that freedom, you know, because all of creation was brought forth with the, the tool of the Torah, right? Man was created by the Torah. So technically, it, may, it would make sense that everybody does Torah since we were all created by it. <laughs> However, we were given freedom. And so it's just kind of like the same thing with the why the tree in the garden. It's like... We're not robots. We have to have an equal amount of uh, uh, ability and potential to choose death as much as we have the ability to choose life. Like there's not an imbalance there. And the reason for that is to make sure that we're not robots and for the reward to actually be of substantialness, if that is even a word. So substantial award, like, you can't just be like, oh, yeah, well, I got first place. You know, it's like, well, did you even have any competitors? <laughs> can't just say you have first place if you're the only one in the race, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, that's true. I mean, competition does bring out uh, more from you. You know, you, you'll strive harder. You know, you put in more effort. Yeah. Um, but the one thing I'm careful about, especially with Torah study and sharing in the group, you know, strictly Torah, is that I'm not in competition with anyone. That's right. That's right. We're all that. We're all there to learn. We're all there to contribute. And you also, I would, views, right? <laughs> yeah. I That's also would doing. say that we need to avoid and. I know that you've probably experienced this, just like my wife and I have in the church clicks. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a and really I'm guilty bad thing. It, you know, like I, we, were, we were reflecting on the previous congregation we were a part of. You know, some of us at Magin Yushenu, we were like, man, we used to be so clicky at our last synagogue. And at Magin Yushenu, we're just like, 
we need to make sure that we're not like that. Like as an element of our teshuva, let's not be clicks, you know? And we were doing it, you know, even my wife and I were talking about it. We were like, we were being clicky without even knowing it. We weren't even aware of it, you know? And it wasn't until we were having an open discussion as a shul, how we want to move forward as a community, just recovering from all the stuff over the past year is that um, there was a lot of isolation of newcomers to the community, you know, at our previous place. And um, one of the people noticed that he was like, yeah, families would come and they'd sit in the corner, you know, at the Oneg and, and no one would talk to them or bring them in, you know, and it just like it would happen. And one particular family that's a part of our group now, they were like, yeah, we were one of those families. We were just like, give it time. People need to warm up to us, you know, and it was just like we came, we sat there, we sat there, we came, nothing, you know, and after years, they're finally you know, embraced. And then all of a sudden we're now in this new community and it's just like, okay, so can we talk about some things we need to fix? <laughs> but yeah, so no clicks, man, no competition. We need to build each other up in our most holy faith. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, we definitely experienced that when we were in the church, you know, and we would try to be friendly with everyone. It didn't matter who it was. You yeah, know, that's how we need to be. Um, I mean, admittedly, you know, you do get discouraged when some people just what you perceive that they might be avoiding you or you might not be good enough or, you know, that kind of thing. Those are subconscious fears, you know, that you're projecting, you know, uh, yeah. those kinds of things, you know, and this, you know, just those things we have to be careful of to maintain our identity with one another so that, yeah, we can identify with one another because that's what Shaul says too. So identify with one another's burdens, you know, to help carry them, you know, and that's fulfilling the whole Torah. The whole Torah. <laughs> Love your neighbor as yourself, you know. And many times it's thought, oh, the Torah is too hard to fulfill. It's like, have you ever heard of keeping the Shabbat or wearing Zizi or loving your neighbors you love yourself, bearing one another's burdens? It's like, if you do just those things, that's fulfilling the entire Torah. <laughs> It's just like, it's not as you think it is. Yeah. <laughs> so the fact is there are clear and explicit instructions found within the scriptures that tell us how Gentiles and Jews are to be identified within the people of God. And it isn't to be distinct and separate. Beloved, Please remember this. There are no instructions either in the Tanakh or in the apostolic scriptures that tell us that we must maintain distinct Jewish identity and Gentile identity. None. In fact, we read just the opposite. 
one ordinance shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger, the gare, the Gentile who dwells with you an ordinance forever throughout your generations. As you are, so shall the stranger be before Hashem. Numbers 15, 15. What's Our interesting son. about that, yeah, what's interesting about that quote is that this very same chapter you find the commandment for Zitzit in. We were just talking about ZT. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, yeah, therefore, remember that you, once former Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Mashiach being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Mashiach, Yeshua, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Mashiach. That's talking about a change in status yeah. from Tamei to Tahor. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished his, in his flesh the enmity that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, man-made rules of distinction, in brackets, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Now, if you look at unclose, unclose on uh, 1515, for the entire congregation, which is kahal, like a conglomeration of people, it says there is one and the same statue for you and for the convert, for the proselyte who are converts, eternal statue for your generations like you. So they, so shall the proselyte be before Hashem. The, the thing it uses is hook which is something that's beyond understanding. Oh, yeah, that's right. A hope are not explained. Yeah, that's the whole like crazy paradox in the Mashiach is like it's in plain sight, but the, the mystery and the revelation is so deep. It's it's almost uh, incomprehensible. Like, what are we saying? How can this be like? What do you mean? <laughs> How is the proselyte <laughs> and the, the native born one before Hashem? Like, what do you mean? Like, obviously, they're born children of Hashem. Obviously, every human being is born the same way. How is it? Where's the difference? Where's the dividing line? You know, like, how does this all work? And it's like, it's a hook. Yeah. Since 
I decided to go there myself. You don't know how time? Uh, Onkelos. On okay. The May Bar 1515. Um, yeah, look at the, the way he does the uh, Aramaic. Like, that's something. Kahala is the Aramaic word he uses. Uh, Kayama, Kad, uh, Lacon, Ule Goi Ra, Dayit Gayar, Kayam, Alam, Ledarekon. Kava Kava Takon Kagiora Yee Yee Kadam Adonai and for the entire congregation, note sixteen, see Targum Yonatan. There is one and the same statute for you and for your proselyte. Who converts an eternal statute for your generations? Yeah, Kayam Alam Le Dore Kon. Like you, so shall the proselyte be before Hashem. Well, verse 16 too. One teaching, one judgment shall be so there be for you and for the proselyte who converts with you. Note 17, the verse teaches that a convert is treated the same as a native Jew in regard to all areas of Torah. Yeah, the whole congregation. Yeah. Akahal, Hukah. Akat. Yeah, it says there's three types of communities. Or, yeah, three types of communities is mentioned in the Torah. This is from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. May his memory be for a blessing. There is the uh, the Ada, the the Kehila, and the uh, Zibor. So when you look at the word for kahal, it says, uh, let's see, yeah, it's Ada, Zibor, Kehila. Ada is the word for witness. So it's a group of witnesses. Uh, Zibor uh, comes from to heap or pile up. Uh, it's a group of people praying at the Kotel, for example. And then a Kehila is different from the other two kinds. Its members are different from one another. In that sense, it is like a Zibor, but they are orchestrated together for a collective undertaking. One that involves itself in making a distinctive contribution 
So the danger of a kahila is that it can become a mass, a rabble, a crowd. So the beauty of a kahila is that when it is driven by constructive purpose, it gathers together the distinct and separate contributions of many individuals so that each can say, I helped make this. This is why assembling the people uh, in the particular uh, Parsha Vayakel, Moshe emphasizes that each has something different to give. Take from what you have an offering to God. Everyone who is willing to bring to God an offering of gold, silver, or bronze, all who are skilled among you are to come and to make everything that Hashem has commanded. So, you know, like I think of uh, assembling the Avengers. <laughs> so when you talk about this, this uh, verse, Numbers 15, 15, you know, it's just like whether you're native born or proselyte it's like you all are superheroes so come together and and make a contribution into the world you know really bring about the workmanship that you are in the mashiach uh i started that scene at the end of guardians of the galaxy yes where, uh, peter or star lord grabs the infinity stone yeah and ronan's going how can it be you said it yourself we're the Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's how it needs uh, to be. And we all link up together through the Torah. Yeah. Um, the other thing in Oculus here, um, that Aramaic word, Kahala, that reminds me of the word Kala. The bread and the bride. Nice. I'm a let it get you some. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because um, the same word for Kahal, if you rearrange the letters, you can make yeah. Kala, but you interchange the Kuf yeah. for the Kah. Yeah. And then interchange that with the Chet, which is Kala, like the bread. Yep. It's getting target target up in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I mean, if he didn't take the time to look at the Aramaic, you know, this stuff wouldn't come up, you know. Because mm -hmm. when I when I read the Aramaic, you know, it uh and you start getting homiletics, and I'm not talking about the the homiletics yeah. that the church the church uses. Hermes, who stole fire oh. from stole fire from the gods, you know, in Greek mythology, you know, but rather the fire of Hashem, but the Torah mm -hmm. is a consuming fire. Um, I was looking at the Ramban to see if he had anything on it about that, but I don't. I don't see anything. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think hoping. that's probably going to be my next uh, Bezrat Hashem purchase is getting the Ramban because 
that whole thing about the the forced conversion and how it's valid for the captive woman in last week's bar shop. Oh, <laughs> that was intense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's. Yeah. And what's important about these two verses, uh, yeah, throughout your generations, eternal, Hukat Olam. Yep. Just uh, for the record, so people don't think we're crazy and stuff for the Kala, Kala, Kahal, the, word, the letter Kof or Kuf, depending on how you want to pronounce it, interchanges with a Gimel. A kaf, a chet, and with an ayin, according to the targum. Hmm. So, just saying, that's that's a lot of letters. <laughs> yeah, what's interesting when I look at it a little more deeper is that you pretty much have the same letters, but what Ankelos does is. He replaces one of the haze with an Aleph. And we know that the Aleph has a combined gematria of 26. Mm -hmm. um, also, Kabbalistically, the Yod above and the Yod below and the diagonal of the Vav uniting the two. Like... Uh, Hashem separating the upper waters from the lower waters. Which are brought together during the seven days of Sukkot. Yeah. When it and looks Sukkot like blood and water are pouring out of the altar. <laughs> and what came out of Yeshua's side when he was thrust through with, with the spear? Blood and water. Yeah. Wow. And the other thing, you have Kala, the bride, and the bread, the marriage supper of the lamb, which would be Sukkot. Mm -hmm. So, again, another identifying marker for the people of God. Yep. And there's a tacoon with the, the bride separating out the dough to make the hala because Hava uh, she desecrated Hashem's hala which was Adam who was fashioned together like hala so the woman making the hala separating out the dough is like tikkuning uh, the original sin of the eating from like, the tree like Hashem taking out a rib which would be one of the strands of dough. Yes, exactly. Of the kala. Yes. Hashem was like, here, Hava, do it like this, like the way you were created. <laughs> oh, man. And then there's uh, Atkinu Seyudata. Mm -hmm. I shall the prepare. Double... Yeah, but the, the double six mm -hmm. of the loaves. That's right, like the Shulchan. And the temple. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, 
I always count the number of braids on the collar, and I think it's six on each one. Mm-hmm. The six days of creation. Man was created on the sixth day. Six orders of Mishnah. Uh, yeah. So uh, the six ashrays in what Matthew five. Come on. Um, six remembrances. Six yeah. cities of refuge. Uh huh. Uh, Those six directions we wave the lulav to break the yetzahara. Okay. Um, the six oive in Matthew 23. Uh, leading up to the Baruch Abba. Yeah. Will you not see me again until you learn to cry Baruch Abba, Bashem Adonai. And then I connect that with Divrei uh, Hayamim Beit Perik Zayim Pasuk 14. Yod. Yeah. Yod Dalet. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Yeah. Yochanan uh, 14, where Yeshua is saying to Philip, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Oh, then the the Ruach mm -hmm. from the restoration of the breach, part yeah. four. Yeah. The dove. The, <laughs> the throne, Bina. And then the, the, the Baal the turn says that this is King Mashiach. Dude. That was that was and then, and then Rashi says it's the Kisei Kavod. That's right. <laughs> Which has the face of the lamb inscribed in lamb, it. Uh, and, and Revelation. Mm -hmm. Revelation. The lamb who from the face of him and the face of the, the wrath of the lamb and from him who sits on the throne. For the yeah, hour of his judgment is come. Yeah, he's edged And they say to the rocks, fallen us, hide us from the face of him and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now I'm calling it more completely. Yeah. It's all in there. <laughs> yeah. I just want to get as much of it as possible. You know, context, 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 you know. Yes, that's um, right. You know, it's, oh, man. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that the, the the Zohar that guy uses that's the that's the one I want to get. Even though that uh, Ray sent me over the Pritzker, which I now Dude, have. Yeah, the Pritzker is, oh my gosh, but yeah, he's using the Kabbalah Center edition. Yeah, that, I want to get that. Yeah, oh yeah. I, they have I, the uh, Stoncino as well, so but the Pritzker is like it footnotes everything. Like I get I get stuck in the footnotes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I don't even know what the Zohar said, but I know what it's sourced out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
All right, you keep going. I'm going to step away for a thing. Yeah. Um, so continuing with the rumination, some time ago, a well-known Messianic leader and I were discussing this passage, which is which says the mystery that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Messiah through the gospel. And that's Ephesians 2, 11 through 16 and 3, 6. You know, because he was insisting on a cultural distinction between Jew and Gentile. He was raised in an Orthodox Jewish home and is concerned how Messianic Gentiles were blurring the cultural distinctions. Of course, he knew by my surname that my father was was Scott Irish. I asked him what, in my mind, was a pivotal question. Are you and I in the same family, the family of Abraham? I was surprised by his response. No, we aren't. He said, there is where such a faulty theology leads us, apartheid in the body of Messiah, God forbid, while we may have many distinct cultures within the worldwide body of Messiah, we have one standard of righteousness. The Torah is not cultural, as some are purporting. While some will come up with convoluted and contradictory theologies to explain away our one identity in Mashiach, the fact is that their efforts to invite Gentiles and to obligate Jews to the Torah are a dangerous deviation from the biblical instructions we have regarding our single identity in Messiah. In him, our identity is Israel. Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah. We have one king. We are one people, and we have been given one Torah. Um, yeah, I was reading from a Zero last week about... Uh, Cretasium, who earned his place in the world to come. Uh, oh, while you're doing that, that made me think of Galatians 3.29. If you belong to Mashiach, then you are Abraham's seed. Seed. Yeah. And is according to the promise. <laughs> yep. Which is funny, because technically that should be all mankind. But remember, Abraham's seed is not natural born. It's spiritually reborn. Because Shanae Lukot Habrid actually brings down that Abraham is considered the procreative organ of Hashem to bring forth spiritual children into physical creation. This is why you have to go through conversion, like to be born again. And that's how you're considered to be Abraham's seed. Because that's how Yitzhak was born, through the circumcision 
through the spiritual regeneration that happened to Sarah on Rosh Hashanah? Uh, I take it that would be the first volume, Shnei Lakot. Yeah, it was, uh, I want to say, yeah. I don't, I know I read it on Safari, but I don't remember how they delineated. But it was based oh, off of uh, Eber, like the first few letters of Abraham. Because uh-huh. the word Evarim, Abraham is considered to be a limb of Hashem. Evrit. Mm-hmm. Crossed over. Because mm-hmm. he crossed over from idolatry. Because uh, we have to remember that Hashem told him, told him that uh, um, what God told this is uh, Sinai Lukot, Volume 1, page 70. Uh, when God told Abraham in Genesis 15, 13, know that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. We must ask why he added the words in a land that is not theirs. Is it not clear that one can only be a stranger in a land that one does not own? Rashi addresses this problem and says that this expression includes the times when Abraham's descendants would also at times be strangers in countries other than the land of Egypt during the 400 years which start with the birth of Isaac. Other commentators see in this expression an allusion to the fact that Israel would reside in Goshen, i.e. not Egypt proper. The expression uh, lo lahem, referring to the Egyptians who did not own Goshen, seeing it had been given to the Sarah by Pharaoh. Alternatively, it could refer to the resettlement policy of the Egyptians, which Joseph had initiated in Genesis 47-21, where Rashi explains that as a result, none of the Egyptians themselves had a real claim to the land they were settled on. It is clear in our context that Abraham's descendants, i.e. Israel, were meant to become strangers and subsequently slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. At a later stage in their history, they would become strangers in their own country. This is why God emphasized that during these first 400 years or part thereof, they would be strangers in, a, in someone else's country. Afterwards, they would be strangers, just as David describes himself as a stranger in Eretz Yisrael, the moral lesson is that just as strangers must not take for granted their right to live in their host country, so Jews must not take for granted their entitlement to the Holy Land, not even after they have settled there. That does speak volumes to the verses I just read from Ephesians. Yeah, yeah. You know, when Shaul says being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Goodness. To be, 
to be a Mashiach is to cross over as Abraham did. So how can we not be identified with Abraham? How, how could we not draw on his merit of the fathers? Not that we shouldn't be uh, acquiring merit of our own. Right. I'm just trying to see if I can uh, refine that drop. Oh, okay. Maybe if I went back to the beginning. I think it was in Torah or. Because the interesting thing is that even Abraham himself, when he was in uh, Urkaldi, was an idolater. Yeah, and the thing Yosef brought up from Strictly Torah saying that uh, Abraham was conceived through, and uh, through his parents uh, coming together during Nida. So it basically. Uh, showed the Klippa that, oh, yeah, there, there's this is impurity. Like, there's nothing good that could come of this. You know, so out of impurity comes the Mashiach. Out of Egypt, I call my son kind of thing. You know, and so because of the way Abraham was conceived, uh, there was this whole thing about being able to uh, trick the Klippa, so to speak. The same way we do with uh, the Azazel on Yom Kippur. Yeah. Yeah, this was a long drop. Yeah, I'm just looking at a little bit of the Torah commentary, Bereans. Um, where in Acts, Acts 9-2 tells us that the early believers call themselves the way Adarek mm -hmm. have, have you ever wondered why to be in the way is to be an imitator this is what Deuteronomy 26-17 is speaking of when it tells us to walk in his ways as I was reading from the Orkaim, it is to imitate God. The first followers of Yeshua had down-to-earth exposure to this. They were his Talmudim, his disciples. This was the job of the disciple, to imitate their master. Yeshua ties love to this imitation. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who, dis who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. 
Is God merciful? Then we too should be merciful. Is God loving? Then we too should be loving. Does God forgive? Then we too should forgive. This is the essence of what it is to walk in his ways. You know, he is all these things that he should be feared. I will teach transgressors your ways. Nice. From uh, the uh, town. <laughs> the healing 51, yeah. Left to Hor Barali Elohim. That's the same one we have the uh, opening of the Shemani Esrei in, right? Adonai Septai Titak Ufi Agiti Lateka. Open my mouth that my, my lips mouth that my eyes to declare your praise. Yeah, that's the healing 51. Shemani Esrei. Teaching transgressors your ways, standing before Shem. Open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Yeah, that's it. Septized lips. Ufi and my lip and my mouth will declare your praise. Yeah. I found the uh, Shanelu coat. So after you, I'll share this. Oh, I'm just uh, going to the Amidah for the weekday. Oh, get you some. Okay, I'll go now while you're looking that up. So it's start. It's if you're looking in uh, Shnei Lukot, it'll be quoting Isaiah 40, verse 26. Then it'll quote Psalm 104, 24. And then after that, it'll say a great deal of attention also is paid to the meaning of the word bara, bet, resh, aleph. If you rearrange those letters, aleph, bet, resh is considered as a limb or better, a link to what are called toldot elion, developments having their root in the spiritual and abstract sphere of the heavens, or as we say, the generations of the heavens, as first written in Genesis with the two vavs, the whole toldot. Yeah, remember that? Creation yeah. being unblemished. Okay, so... Basically, Abraham brings about the unblemished generations is what this is talking about. So, such as are implied by the verse, toldot These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. When combining the word me, which is who, and the word ele, which is these, we get the word Elohim, which is God. It says, or the answer to the question me bara ele who created these isaiah 40 26 now we see how to understand the word bara as a link which bara is creation as a link to ever which is the organ that procreates or initiates creation of the physical universe 
So Abraham is considered to be the procreative organ that brings about the creation of the physical universe, which before Abraham was, I am. Think about that now. Because <laughs> workmanship, craftsman, Torah, Mashiach, all creation, right? So it says, since this process cannot continue endlessly, God also functions as the one who commands die, which is enough, Dalit Yod. Hence, one of God's names is Shaddai, the one who says enough. But yeah, and it keeps going on from there, gets into Yisod uh, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. The world having been created for the sake of Abraham, we find the letters bara, ever, which is creation and lem. When combined with the word ma, which is what, you get Abraham. Abraham, keep in mind that the spiritual level represented by me, which is who, is superior to the spiritual level ma, which is what. Former, the former, which is me resulted in the attribute of God as Elohim, the creator, whereas the word Ma only triggered the appearance of this gigantic human figure called Abraham. This is why Abraham was called a giant. So if you ever come across a Midrash about Abraham being a giant, that's where that stems oh. from. <laughs> yeah. Um, I pulled up the Aryan Leklika. Um, when he says then God said to Avram go from your land etc Bereshit 12.1 it's already been clarified in Drush Nukva how many levels it the Malkut had from the time the world was created until the second destruction and how the pairing of Zerampin and Nukva occurred each time see there now the pairing of Zer and his Nukba before the Avos or in their time will be explained. There wasn't a pairing of Zerampin with Nukba before Abraham was born, since Zerampin only had six Sephiros in those times called the Zeman Yenika, the time of suckling. His brains of Gadalus did not yet enter him, as it is known, a drop of Mayin. Dekurin does not flow except from the brains. Therefore, there was no pairing of Zerantin and Nukba. When Abraham was born, it stimulated an upper pairing. Therefore, he was called Avram, a hint to the pairing of the Yesod of Zer called Aver, Lim, as you were pointing out from the Shnei Lukot. With the Yisod of Nukva called the Mem Stuma, closed Mem, together they are Avram. However, the pairing did not actually take place until Avram went to Eretz Yisrael, and it was this that caused the upper pairing. This is what the Holy One, blessed is he, told him, go from your land and from your birthplace, etc., in order to rectify Zerampin and Nukva through him so they compare together. Thus it says, from your land, and I will make you a great nation. Because through your going to Eretz Yisrael, 
their unpeen will mature to the level of receiving brains and will then be able to pair with his nukba. Thus, the level of Leia was not yet revealed before the brains came into Zerantin because Leia is from the light of the brains as known. Therefore, only Raquel was revealed, called the lower land, which is why it says, go from your land, etc., which is Raquel. And if we remember that Laban deceived Yaakov and he wound up marrying Raquel. Well, he ended up marrying Leah, and but he was supposed to marry well, Raquel. Yeah, Raquel. This is why Leah is hidden. This is why they're back to back. They're on being back to back to back because mm -hmm. Leah is hidden. But with Rabbi Foreman and the tears of Raquel, she merited greatly. Uh, she wept bitterly, which is marar. Yeah. The bitter herbs of Pesach. Connected to sense, during Pesach, we, during Pesach, when we eat the bitter herbs, we can remember the tears of Raquel. So to continue, since Abraham ascends through the right line of the Sephirot, mm -hmm. beginning with Hokmah down to uh, Netzach, as will be explained, it says with respect to him, go from your land, which is the Sephira of Netzach at the end of the right line, which is close to the Malku called your land. He ascends up to the Sephira of Hesed called the place of your birth, because every drop that begets is from the Hesed hidden in the mouth of the limb. After that, you can ascend more from the place of your birth, which is Hesed, to the Hokma called house of your father, since Hokma is considered to be the father of Abraham, who is called Hesed. After the brain of the Hokma of Zerah was already made, then Go to the land that I will show you, which is Leah, the upper land. Then she will be seen and revealed, unlike before this time. You should know that, as explained in Sha'ar HaTefilos, the pairing that occurs on the first of the new months is on the level of Netzach only, on Rosh Hashanah, on the level of Gavura only and it varies for each Yom Tov. It was this way also during the time of the Avot. During Abraham's time, the main enlargement of the brains was the brain of Hopma, which is close to Hesed, which is Abraham. All pairing in this in his day was only on the level of Hesed, and this is what it says: I will make you a great nation. That is, you alone, because you are the Sephira of Hesed. I will make a great nation because the enlargement now 
is on the right side only. After that, during the time of Yitzhak, the brain of Binah enlarged, which is on the left side and close to the Gavura called Yitzhak. Therefore, all the parents in his time were on the level of Gavura. After, during Yaakov's time, the brain of Da'at was rectified, completing the enlargement of the three brains. The begetting and pairing were complete, and this is the sword of what Kazal say. This is the bed, that, that his bed was complete, since the pairing in his time was complete with the three brains. Wow. Kabbalistic get you some just happened. <laughs> yeah. I love how like on so many different levels from Prashat to so like you can just really just go there. Um, he talks about the addition of the hay when Hashem changed Avram to Abraham. Mm -hmm. um, this is regarding the reason for the addition of the hay and Abraham and why nothing was added to Yitzhak and Yaakov. There were two reasons for the addition of the hay. One was because in the beginning there were no brains in Zerampin. They, they are clothed in the Netzach, Hod, and Yesod of Ima, called the upper hay. Therefore, he was missing the letter hey, and he only had ever mem, which is the two yesodes, as mentioned above, without pairing. After their brains enlarged through him, he received the upper hey, as mentioned. The second reason is that the pairing drop is from the kasadim that come from the brain of Da'at when the brains enlarged and he inherited the brain of Da'at then he was given the five kasadim of the pairing drop. The sort of the addition of the hay is as mentioned. The two reasons for the addition of the hay have been explained. With this, it is understandable why nothing was added to Yitzhak or Yaakov since the essential part is named after the beginning. It was already hinted to by the letter hay, which alludes to the pairing, hence there was no need to hint to it with respect to Yitzhak and Yaakov. There is another reason. It is known that Abraham was the Sephira of Hased called Yomam, days, because he went with all of them, days. He was the one who brought the five Kasadim to the mouth of the Ama, i.e. Yesod. Therefore, the Hay, which are the five Kasadim, is hinted to in him and not in Yitzhak and Yaakov. Wow. Yeah, and then I went to the uh, the weekday Amidah in my Sajur that you mentioned, uh, Adonai, and then you oh, yeah, because you got the turned up Sidur, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Sephardic, the Sephardim. Mm -hmm. Adonai, mm -hmm. you pause, you pause slightly, and then you Shafati, Tiftah, Ufi, Yagid, Tahila, Teka. 
you know, my Lord, pause, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. And it is to heal in 5117. 17 is the Gematria of Tob. Yep. And Barukata Adonai Eloheinu ve Elohei Avutenu and so forth. Mm-hmm. We began the Braca of Abraham. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, the last part, uh, Melech Ozer, Umashiach, Umagen, Baruch Atah Adonai, Magen Abraham. Amen. Ozer reminds me of one of the 15 uh, blessings in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu, Melech Ha'olam. Ozer Yisrael Betifara. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the universe, who crowns Israel with splendor. Yeah, that's the bracha for when we put on our head covering. Yep. I believe there was a Magan David drop over here in the same section of Shanae Lukot. I don't remember what it was connected to. Okay. Um, I'll read a little more here from uh, the Ari. Uh, Sarah's name. We also explained Sarah's name. She was the level of the female called Elohim, as known, Elohim was expand, expanded with Yudes. The level of the front of the partsuf has the gematria of the Sheen, 300 of Sarah. The simple Akurahim of Elohim has a gematria of the Resh, 200 of Sarah. Collectively, the five letters of Elohim are the He, five of Sarah. Therefore, when she was rectified and fitting for pairing. She was called Sarah, and she gave birth to Yitzhak. See, Abraham and El. Returning to the matter of names, Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, and Yosef are all connected. Abraham is the level of Hesed, called El, bestowed. Hesed, El, God's kindness is constant, to healing 52.3, as known. On the upper face of Arch Anpin, there are names of El, and all of them are included in Abraham, whose name has the gematria of 248, like eight names of El. Specifically, the level of the first tikkun of the 13 tikkuni uh, dikna is called El, Besod, Almighty, El, Merciful, 
gracious, etc. Shemot thirty-four six. And Basod, who is like you, L. Micah seven eighteen, as explained in the section about the thirteen attributes under the heading Beya Avor during weekday morning prayer. It is the sword of the upper paya of the beard, of which there are two right and left, and they are the two names of El, as known. Each paya includes three names of El, which are three worlds result from this tikkun, as explained in Adoret Naso. They are El Shaddai of Berea, El, Ho, El Hovaya of Yetzirah, and El Adonai of Asiya. Thus, there are six names of El in the two payos. There are two more names of El in the seventh tikkun, which are the two cheek sections, two holy faces as explained, because they are the 370 lights of the face of Arik, corresponding to the two expanded names of El that are there. This completes the eight names of El, which have the same gematria as Abraham. The matter of the 175 years that Abraham lived is explained at length in Parashah Kaye Sarah. Wow. So when you hear Arik, you know, you can know that it's the ancient of days. Mm-hmm. Or the or the ancient holy of most holy. Um and Atkinu Sayudata. Um Uh, I think I need to read this <laughs> from Legends of the Jews. I was looking for oh, that, shield of, means... that shield of David <laughs> drop. So it oh, says, again, David. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when Abraham forsook his father in Haran and journeyed to Canaan, uh, accompanied by the blessing of God, who said unto him, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. These three blessings were to counteract the evil consequences, which he feared would follow immigration. For traveling from place to place interferes with the growth of the family. It lessens one's substance and it diminishes the consideration one enjoys. The greatest of all blessings, however, was the word of God and you will be a blessing. And it says the meaning of this was that whoever came in contact with Abraham was blessed. Even the mariners on the sea were indebted to him for prosperous voyages. Then it says, besides, God held out the promise to him that in time to come, his name would be mentioned in the benedictions, which we just read the Shemoni Esrei. By the way, the 18 blessings are known as the 18 benedictions. Also, <laughs> yeah. the Gematria for a high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So it says that um, God would be praised as the shield of Abraham, a distinction according to no other mortal except David. But the words and you will be a blessing will be fulfilled only in the future world when the seed of Abraham shall be known among the nations. <laughs> like what we just been talking about this whole podcast and his offspring among the peoples as the seed which the Lord has blessed. So Legends of the Jews corresponding Shaparsha Leklaka talking about how the seed of Abraham is going to come from among the nations. Thinking about the Mashiach saying, go into all the nations. <laughs> uh, yeah, Israel being the seed. Mm -hmm. Being sown throughout the nations, yeah. Hmm. Um. <clears throat> so I don't know where we're at in the rumination, but... <laughs> Well, actually, I finished it, so I jumped into the uh, the Torah commentary. Ah, um, okay. Just to keep things going, <laughs> because obviously there's there's just so much more. Um, yeah, one of my favorite quotes regarding discipleship is: "A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who's perfectly trained will be like his teacher." Yes. In other words, no one is the better of the other, regardless of the position that you hold in your congregation. Yeah. In other words, we're called to imitate the master. Uh, be holy, for I, Hashem, your God, am holy. Right. <laughs> be like your master. Which, you know, it's interesting. We say, Mika Moka Baalim Adonai, who is like you among uh, the God Adonai. You know, and yeah. uh, the Elin connected to Elohim, you know, and we're supposed to be called Elohim. You know, have I not called you Elohim, sons of God? Which Mashiach yeah. brings that verse up. But um, more Interestingly enough, you know, there's an angel called Mikael, who is sometimes connected to the angel Memtet, or Metat, as some people say. The angel of Shem was known as the Prince of the Face, concealed in yeah. the name Moshe, uh, Mem, Sheen, Hey, Memtet, Sar, Hapanin. So Mikael stands for who is like. El, who is like God. So Memtet, who is like God, <laughs> this angel. Uh. <laughs> yep. But yeah, I think about yep. the Mashiach's words all the time too, because he's the emissary of Hashem and the emissary is likened to the one who sent him. So on another level, and another face of the Torah, when 
we look at the Mashiach, it's like he is the me who is like Hashem. You know, because he's the one sent by him. And he's also yeah, the, he, the Talmud of Hashem, just like Moshe was. Yep. Um, yeah, Talmud, derivative or synonym of the word Talmud. Yeah. Lamed. Lamud. <laughs> Which All isn't the words word are in there? Closely in, yeah. All those words are closely interlinked. Um, what's interesting, uh, Yeshua did not teach us how to walk in a Greek philosophical sense, as some of our seminarians want us to believe. He taught us how to live as his Talmudim. He is the master. We are to be his imitators. Admittedly, I can hear the protest from some but I'm not Yeshua. Surely he doesn't not expect me to live like he did. But once again, and the verse I quoted from Luke 6, uh, Luke 640, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who's perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Likewise, Peter quotes a Levit uh, Leviticus 11.44 as his standard for imitating Yeshua. He said, be holy, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Messiah Yeshua as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. First Peter 1, 13-16. What would Yeshua do? Truly is the principal question that his Talmudim should ask and live by, always remembering that he would do today what he did in Scripture. So I'm looking at the word Talmud. And it has the gematria of 484, which I think gonna have to look this up but besides the gematria just look at the letters tav lamed mem yod dalit if you look at the mem and the yod in there you have the word me which is who right the letters you're left with is tav lamed dalit which is telid which is like giving birth like as in who led it, told out, all of those. But if you rearrange tell it, you get Dalit, the door. Who is the door? That's the oh. Talmud. So when Messiah is talking about himself being the door, and we talk about the mezuzah, Shomer, Dalot, Yisrael, you know, Memtet, and the name of Hashem and all of that. So the whole thing about being a Talmud, being like your master. Yeshua Allah, Anoki Hadarek, Beha Imet, Beha Kaim. Way the truth in a life? Yep. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then the one part about uh, 
from restoring the breach. I'm covering mm-hmm. my father's name. Oh yeah. In that very in that very chapter in Exodus at Yeshua. Yeah. Uh, Adonai is the father's name. <laughs> That's the name that he comes in. And what does Matthew say in Matthew one twenty one? And he shall give birth, Yaled. Yep. To a son, Ben. Yeah, Yeshua. Wow. And that quote is from. Uh, I think John 541 that he quoted from because later on in 545 you know you see uh, yeah do not think that I will accuse you before the father the one who accuses you is Moshe in whom you have put your hope. Wait, yep. so people are hoping in a human? Uh, uh, <laughs> but look at verse 41 that he quotes. And I don't collect praise from men, but I do know you people. I know that you have no love for God in you. I have come in my father's name and you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, him will you accept? What do you see people doing today? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He prefaces that whole thing when he says, I don't collect praise from men. Wow. So this whole thing about esteeming the Mashiach as God and like bowing to him and worship and forsaking Hashem for him. Yeshua was like, no, nah, I don't do that. <laughs> if you're not giving glory to the Father, you're not giving glory to me. How can you trust? You're busy collecting praise from each other instead of seeking praise from God only. And then I think of the rich young ruler who comes to Mashiach and asks him, Master, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what does Yeshua come back with? Why do you call me good? There is none good but Hashem. Yeah, get your focus on me, man. Get your focus on the Father. (laughs) That's the funny thing is that he doesn't say he's God. He doesn't even say that he's Mashiach anywhere in the Gospels. You don't see it. So how are you getting that he is God? You know, he he knows the Jewish requirement for a Mashiach. He just simply lets the works speak for themselves. And he actually says that in Yochanan. Right. And the people who did call him Mashiach, he said the words are yours. Or when Kepha admitted it he said only only the spirit of Hashem has revealed this to you yeah it's who do you say I am I am me 
who do you say I am? Me, who? <laughs> well, some say you're Yochanan. Or Jeremiah. Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You know, it's just this, it goes on, you know. So what's that verse? Who do you say I am? Uh, Matthew 16. 17, I think. Or earlier, maybe uh, verse 16. Uh, yeah, Matthew 16, 15. 15, yep. So but you, he said to them, who do you say that I am? Let's oh. check it out. And the Evreet. <laughs> I'll, I'll get the Dalish out for that. <laughs> yeah. I'm inspired by restoring the breach, man. He'd be pulling out the, <laughs> the Evreet. Okay, 16, 15. Okay. Uh, oh, it uses ma instead of me, which is interesting because we were just talking about Abraham, right? <laughs> Oh, and then he says me, Ani. Okay. It is me. It's me, Ani. The me, Ani, yeah. Biomer Elohim, Be Atem, Ma, Tomru, Li, Me, Ani. Sha'al, Ali, Ali, yeah. Question them. Yeah. Biomer Elihim. Yeah. Miyani. Who? You you know uh the 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 Kabbalah of this is? Is this all I am to you? Oh yeah, back to our previous rumination. Is this yeah, is this all that Hashem is to you? Wow. Yeah, because it says in Isaiah 40, 26, lift your eyes above uh, and see who created these. Me, Ele, Elohim. <laughs> yep. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's Shanae Lukoha about the me and the ma, the who and the and the what. <laughs> well, then, uh, then that Mark Carpenter drop, man, I'm still like. <laughs> mm -hmm. interested in that particular psalm that was shared.
you know, I think I went too fast. Donde esta? I took a screenshot of Interesting. Uh, I was looking at Mark 6.3 about the, where it says, is he not the craftsman, the son of Miriam and the brother of Yaakov? The son of the brother? Ben, Miriam. Mother and brother connection? Like, who, are, who is my mother, who is my brother? Yeah, I remember uh, where I read from uh, Likute Moharan about the craftsman. Mm -hmm. You know, Mark 6 3 is the connection. Is he not the craftsman? And the phrase there was Yeah. Bar Nagara. That's interesting. I don't see that here in the Dalish. But yet, that Brett uh, Hadashah that he's using, that phrase shows up there. Hang on, let me double check over here. By the way, this, the, I'm using the Bible Society in Israel. Uh, version okay, six three, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, hello, Zay Ha Nagar Ben Miriam Va Ahi Yaakov. Yeah, here in the daily, she says, Hello, who? Hakaresh, Ben Miriam. <laughs> the Haresh is connected to Bedalel, the, the carpenter, the craftsman. So Nagar yeah. and Haresh are uh, synonymous. They're etymologically related or yeah. Targumic, or however you want to look at it as far as the definitions go which is connected to being a Torah scholar, by the way, because the Talmud says that the Harash is a Torah scholar who makes a person uh, dumb, or no, uh, mute. They make a person mute when they speak because it's like they're dumbfounded by the, uh, the wisdom and the illumination that comes out of the mouth. So, so yeah, Nagar and Haresh, Side note, I'm really excited because I always wonder what Yossi meant in the Talmud when it talks about a person named Yossi. 
Mm-hmm. And in, uh, in this verse in 6.3, it says, brother of James, and it looks like Joseph, which I'd be interested to know what your version says, who the brothers are. The brothers? Oh, uh, What's the English? Um, the brother Yaakov, Yose, Yehuda, and Shimon. Yeah, so Yose, is that a derivative of Jose, you think? Probably. Hosea, maybe. That's pretty cool. I work with a guy named Jose, and I always wondered, like, what would be his Hebrew name? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Simeon, definitely the tribe, one of mm-hmm. the 12 sons of Yaakov. So. And you got Yose being close to Yosef. Yeah. Yosef Azadik. So think about this for a second. Where have we seen Yosef? Yehuda and Shimeon in the Torah. A very, very high point in the Torah was when Yosef took Shimeon, threw him in prison. Yehuda had to go bring Benjamin and stand up for Benjamin to get Shimeon back. Yeah, he had to take responsibility for what he did. And that was considered to be the unification of the two Mashiachs and the revelation of Yosef to his brothers. Because in this verse, Yehuda is mentioned. Yep. That's why you see the tikkun. Get you some of that. <laughs> yeah. That's why you have that in this verse. Uh, see, I think Dalish understands this. Mm-hmm. Other, otherwise, why phrase it this? Why translate it back from the Greek this way? If you don't know the sod. <laughs> so, yeah. And he spells uh, Yaakov according to Gematria, which is uh, 182, 26 times uh, 7. And we talked about tikkuning the seven royal families. Uh, yeah, that I just read from. Likute, mm-hmm. uh, Moharan. Okay, so remember the word ma, right? Versus who? Uh-huh. So I was looking at Tehillim 104, verse 24, and uh, it basically talks about the numerous works that God's, uh, yeah, how numerous are your works, oh God? You made them all with wisdom. And it gets into the fact of like Hashem's fingers makes these uh, diverse creations, but it's from his oneness. So it goes down to say that to be able to discern 
the underlying unity at the heart of creation, one must be prepared to search with integrity. If we give the world nothing more than a cursory glance, we will see only its surface, a patchwork of disparate parts. So again, like not being able to see the oneness of Hashem and creation is like a very shallow perspective. When we commit to look past its appearance, we will appreciate how God's unity runs through every vein of creation. The verse alludes to this with its first word, ma, which, by the way, Gematria 45, Geula, Adam, oh. says, which we have translated as how, but literally means what. The sentiment of ma is a humble sense of wonder. In the words of Moshe, what significance are we? Exodus 16, 7. The humility expressed in the word ma is the foundation of this verse. With a humble curiosity, we will come to see how the world's manifold creations are the works of God, the Rebbe. I love that because, you know, we really have to search and, and really uh, go beyond the surface when we look at Adam, when we look at what the Geula is, you know, and uh -huh. uh, being able to look at creation itself. So, because, you know, Mashiach is the second Adam. Yeah. Um I was just noticing at note 84 of Likutimoran volume 2, he is clothed in majesty. God cloaks and veils himself in Matat, the lower unification of God's imminent rulership over the world. This is his garment of splendor and majesty. Glory is his, but when he takes the qualities of splendor and majesty for himself, this is haughtiness. He has debased the king's garment and diminished his glory. And then we come to the note about the carpenter. The Talmud of Kulin 60, location cited, relates the following story. The emperor's daughter once remarked to Rabbi Yehoshua that the God of the Jews must be a carpenter. For the verse states, who lays beams, this being the case, she mockingly, haughtily requested that God give her a speeding wheel. Rabbi Yehoshua agreed and prayed, and she became a leper. It was the custom in Rome for a leper to be brought into the marketplace and given a spinning wheel. One day, Rabbi Yehoshua passed by the marketplace and found her there. She had been given the spinning wheel, which she requested. Thus, this passage from the Talmud is in line with what has been explained earlier, slander as a manifestation of haughtiness and an indication for a desire to increase one's own importance is the antithesis of enlightened speech. The punishment of leprosy is a sign of how removed the slanderer is from anything holy. See Aleph Bait book, Translator's Introduction. 
The banishment which the slanderer must undergo can be likened to exile, which the which Rebbe Nachman discusses next. And then the next note, the seven royal houses. <laughs> yeah. These were the seven kings of the ten tribes who forcefully introduced idolatry into Israel. This ultimately led to their exile by Sennacherib, the Assyrian king. The Assyrians were very cruel. Mita, Kenega, Mita, measure for measure. Uh, they were one, Yeravam ben Nevat, two, Basha ben Akia, three, Akav ben Omri, number four, Yehu ben Nimshi, number five, uh, Pekach ben uh, Remal Yahu, number six, Menachem ben Gidi, number seven, Hosea ben Ela, first kings, uh, kings one and two. And Gitin, 88a. So, yeah, there's the verse yep. you're looking for. Splendor in the house. This refers to an exotic carved wooden idol in the form of a man. In the context of the lesson, it refers to how, through haughtiness, the misuse of splendor, man can easily bring this idolatry into his own house. Man. His splendor. Using the garment of God, which is what we do or don't do with Matat, Memtet. Yep. And the Memtet having a gematria of 100, thus, in a typical day, one blesses God 100 times. That's right. Which nullifies or slaughters the Samic Mem. Which is the Yetzahara, yeah. because Amic Mim 60 40, that's 100. That's yeah. how you're supposed to die to uh, yourself, kill your flesh. You're supposed to recite the 100 Brachas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His splendor, that's Rabbah Bar Barkana's story to this point reads as follows There is a type of speech which can reach down to and elevate a person who is on the lowest levels, yet this can only be accomplished when the person totally negates his own self-importance, thereby making God's glory complete. If, however, his humility is for the sake of haughtiness, then such spe speech is unattainable. This is why heaven wars against such humility. Instead of ascribing the glory to God, it indicates the basement of the Holy One's splendor and majesty and is akin to idolatry. I just thought of these TV evangelists. Mm -hmm. You know, or anyone else who's trying to draw, fill their pews and not making disciples. Yep, playing the numbers game. You know, uh, uh, the secret movement of the 70s. Nothing, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> nothing more tragic than having a congregation of thousands of people, but yet they're, they're stillborns. There's no, there's no fruits. There's no discipleship happening. Where those disciples make disciples. 
you know, the convenient coming. I, I filled my bracket this week, you know. Or I come from the sh- I come for the shot in my arm. Mm-hmm. So, sort of thing, you know, just give me, oh, you know, give me, give me, give me, you know, instead of realizing that you're part of a community and that you need to learn. Because the other thing the Yetzirah likes to do is to say, oh, you don't need to study Torah. Oh, you, need to, you don't need to do all these brachas. You don't need to go to shul. You don't need to do all this stuff. You know, you don't need to be teaching, you know. Yeah. You're not worthy. <laughs> Who do you think yeah, you yeah, are? Yeah, exactly. You know, throws a guilt trip on you, you know. And yeah. then what it sees that you're trying to do to Shuva comes along and says, oh, why bother? You've fallen so far, man. You know. So that makes me think of the lepers, right? Because Yeshua healed the 10 lepers. Lepers. And what did we just say about the lepers? So uh, far from Hashem. Come on, go. And only one of them. Mm -hmm. And remember, how do you heal leprosy, right? Because it's the eyes of the Kohen that has to pronounce them being clean. So Mashiach saying you're already clean because of the words I spoke to you. So now when you look at Yeshua healing the lepers, only one of them returns. So what did the other nine do? Because there's this element of if you go to the Mashiach, accept the benefits of what he brings, but yet you go back to a life of doing whatever you want to do, you know, but yet this other guy was like, you know what? I want to take it to the next level which is what the Mashiach is for. He's to take us to the next level. We don't just go, oh, I got saved. I'm good. I'm going to go back and I'm going to, you know, go follow things. It's like, no, let's keep going. Increase. You know, take it to the next level. And that's what that guy did because he went to a completely opposite paradigm of from haughtiness to extreme humility to extreme gratitude, you know, like that has to be such a change. Yeah, um, Geller Nine went out and just made a big deal of it. They just publicized it, you know. Like, oh, look what happened to us, you know. If you just go to this guy, he's gonna do all kinds of things for you, you know, signs, miracles, and wonders. And what An do we hear with generation? What, what event? When an evangelist is invited to a congregation, we need signs, miracles, and wonders for revival. And I'm thinking to myself, no, the Shuva, if we, Shuva la Torah, that's your revival. name being in the book of life. That's what you should rejoice about, not the miracles. Yeah. You know, because deception always lies in wait for those who are looking for such a thing, you know? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with publicizing the miracle. We have a whole Yom Tov for that. It's called Hanukkah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know? I mean, yeah, that's legit, you know? Yeah. You know? So you have a dichotomy. Yeah, you have a dichotomy there, you know? Well, like you said, you know, he he was he wanted to be a disciple of the master, 
So you wanted to imitate the master. Come on. You know, he actually went back to the master and thanked him. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there was one other instance where he, uh, the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, where the angel, uh, the pool of Siloam, Yes. Moloch went down and, tr- and troubled the water. Whoever got in there first was healed or whatever ailed him. And this poor mm-hmm. guy was there for like how many years? What was it, like 12 years or something? Yeah, I don't even know. Um, Let's see if I find it. And he, and he says to the master, every time I try to get to the water, man, someone else goes in before me. Um, I know it's in Yokonon. Yeah, I feel like it's in chapter five for some reason. Yeah, because it is. <laughs> 38 years. That number's no accident. What you got? Uh, What was it? Uh... I know it's the Gematria for a word. I know it is. It's got it. Uh, Halev and Lahav, the fire, the flame, and the heart. Uh-huh. Uh, Degel? No, that's 37. Banner. Um, I think you're thinking you- some Arizal, right? Probably. Possibly. Um, yeah, he, you know, you should ask him, do you want to be healed? I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is disturbed while I'm trying to get there. Someone goes in ahead of me. And he should have simply says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And immediately the man was stealing. He picked up his mat and walked and now was the now that day was Shabbat. And that you day can only was imagine. A... <laughs> uh, this man gets yeah. healed and Wait starts breaking one. Was this a Yom Tov? Wait, huh? five verse one. And there was the Judean festival, and Yeshua went up to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, it's a pool called an Aramaic Beit Zeta. Are we talking about a Yom Yom Tov here? Yes. Because the way it's phrased here in the CJB, now that day was Shabbat. Mm-hmm. So James said to the man who had been healed, it is it's Shabbat. It's against Torah for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, the man who healed me, he's the one who told me, pick up your mat and walk. And this starts a whole thing with a whole Maklokid. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but it's interesting because it's like he he's healed but then it breaks one of the 39 Malakot. So like, wait, what? 
because the thing is, it mentions the pool, and I'm wondering if it's the the libation festival, the part of the. Of yeah, snow. that's the pool they drew water from to pour on the altar. Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, that's because it. Because it's, it's it's pure water, right? Yeah. Because it has to be pure water for the libation. Yes. So the that's interesting. That's you know because it says you know an angel goes down there and disturbs the water and those who are sick go into it. Mm -hmm. Does the does the presence prevent tuma? Because those going down into the water, coming into something unclean, coming in contact with something that is tahor. Wow. But then again, Yeshua is referred to as the leper Messiah because he is acquainted with those who are afflicted with death. See, that's the other thing we need to remember about these passages because out of a place of impurity, he makes pure. I.e. Abraham. <laughs> yeah. Crossing over, yeah. So... Yeah, actually down there in verse 14, afterwards Yeshua found him in the temple court and said to him, see, you are well. Now stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Mm -hmm. uh, and the man went off and told the Judeans it was Yeshua who had healed him. And on account of this, the Judeans began harassing Yeshua because he did these things on Shabbat. So this is one of the pilgrimage festivals because it's talking about the fact that Yeshua made Aliyah to Yerushalayim. So there's so, three we go up for. So I wonder if it's Sukkot since we're talking about the Pool of Siloah. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. It's got to be Sukkot. Maybe a little, I still have the Dalish out, you know, because now my curiosity is like. House of Mercy is the name of this place where the pool is. Bet, Bet Seda. Or, uh, yeah, Bet Sata. Okay, in the Dalish, Akar Hadevarim Ha'ileha Yahag La Yahudim Al Yeshua Yerushalayim. Beit Chasda is the Hebrew, like the house of Chesed. And the sheep gate is uh, mentioned several times in Nehemiah. But what would this feast be? 
because I, I'm not thinking it's Shabbat Oath. But it would have to be either first day of Pesach or last day of Pesach, first day of Sukkot, or Shemini Atzeret. Because those are the only uh, Yom Tov days that we have, or the Shabbat days of the Yom Tov that we have during the pilgrimage. Yeah. Yeah, in the Hebrew, Yikre Ola Balashon Ivrit Bekaste. Yeah. Um. Well, this is interesting because in the previous chapter, it's talking about him, uh, Yeshua, coming to Cana of the Galil of Galilee, where he did the turning the water into wine, which again, you know, the blood and water aspect, because wine yeah. is uh, likened to the blood. That's why on Pesach we drink red uh, wine, to be particular. And so, and he's talking about the prophet is not accepted in his hometown. Um, there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum when he heard that Yeshua had come out of Judea into the Galil. He went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Yeshua said to him. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. <laughs> Yeshua said to him, go, your son lives. Talk about helping somebody in their amuna, right? Yeah. The man believed the word that Yeshua spoke to him and started off. Which, you know, I'm thinking about this guy at the pool. Like, this is a progression of this previous account of healing. Because Yeshua is, is telling us how faith in the word is really what has to happen. When this guy is uh, depending on the angel stirring the waters, Yeshua is like, well, do you want to be healed? Where's your faith? Is it in this yep. water? You know, or is it in the word of Hashem? Hmm. What's so, interesting, I'm looking at a footnote here, and mm -hmm. they could say Moharan. Masculine, feminine waters. Masculine waters is the Kabbalistic term for spiritual energy which descends from above. It symbolizes the flow of Shefa, which God benevolently provides for man. Feminine waters, angel. conversely, is spiritual energy ascending from below. It is symbolic of the man's fulfillment of the divine will, just as in the physical conception occurs through a combining of male and female. 
uh, fluids, so too, as it were, in the spiritual, creation occurs through a supernal coupling which unites the masculine and feminine waters, i.e. the unification of the various energies and their corresponding sephirot that represent the male and female characteristics at the time of creation. Man was formed from a unification of these forces. We're sitting here talking about waters in this chapter where this man's trying to go down into the water. Mm -hmm. And you have the angel going down into the water, disturbing it. You know, and the man says to Yeshua, I have no one to put me in the water. You know, every time I try, somebody else goes in. So this is interesting because the rest of this chapter goes into Yeshua talking about, you know, I don't come in my own name and things like that, right? So the crazy part about this is um, it's mentioning in chapter six that the feast of Pesach was close. So I'm wondering the timeline here because it seems like since he's healing the blind, the lame, and all of that, that's Pesach or uh, that's Shavuot when the giving of the Torah happened. All the sick were healed, the blind, the lame, all of that, right? So that they can all hear, stand, and receive the Torah. But on Sukkot, we have the water drawing. But then... On Pesach, we have the whole thing about the um, the wine. So in particular, the, the whole fact of him turning the water into wine and the, the marriage festival, which again is another Sukkot reference, but we know that Sukkot and Pesach are mirrors of each other and Shavuot is directly in the middle. So, yeah, I don't know, man. It's just kind of like the three festivals are seemingly combined right here. Mm. But yeah, I would I would camp in uh, Team Sukkot for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of my thought. Um just because of the context. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Um. <laughs> All right. Well, did you want to go anywhere else? Or <laughs> this rumination went by super fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. No, I think uh, that covers it. Just uh, our identities in Israel, just to cap it off. Um, and that there's only one group of people identified in the, the Torah. You know, there, there aren't two. There's only one. And that's what we've been made a part of. So Which in a sense, you could 
that, you know, we're because of Mashiach, we've been converted. Our identity found in Mashiach. <laughs> really, that's Israel. Because, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Exactly. That's Isaiah 53 is said to be the Mashiach or Israel. You know. That's how we need to, to think, you know. Amen. Oh, thank you, Hashem, for your kindness. It's been a beautiful word. Mm -hmm. Especially during this month of Elul. Yes. May, may Hashem grant us all the bracha of finding our identity so that when we stand before him, we know who we are, but whose we are. Who do you belong to? Whom do you serve? Hmm. Okay, the prayer after study. I thank you, O Hashem, my God, that you have established my portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and you have not established my portion with idlers, for I rise early and they arise early. I arise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. I toil and they toil. I toil and receive reward, and they toil and do not receive reward. I run and they run. I run to the life of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction, as it is written, and you, O oh God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Land of bloodshed. And deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for me, I will trust in you. Amen. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melechaolam Asher Natan Lanu Torat Emet Vechaye Olam Nata Betokeni Baruch Atah Adonai Noten Ha Torah. Amen.